Well, greetings in Jesus' name this Wednesday afternoon. Today we want to consider the goodness of God. I'm sure you don't doubt the goodness of God, at least not today. But there may come a time when there's that question mark in your mind. And today we want to just consider the great goodness of our God. The goodness is, uh, his goodness is an attribute. It is one of his characteristics and God is good and he's good all the time. God cannot be evil. He cannot be tempted with evil. God is good. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and when he got finished, he saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And that was because of his goodness. He has infinite wisdom. And he has infinite goodness. But there are questions that men struggle with. And one of them, one of the major ones is, if God is good, then why is there evil? In fact, it's one of the first things that haters of God will turn to in foolishly charging God with uh, with, you would say with evil, or charging him with not being good, in that they see that evil is, is around, and they say, so, if God is good, why is there evil? Well, God's word has the answer for us. We're going to look at that a bit, but I'd like to mention several passages that speak of the goodness of God. In Psalm 107, it is repeated a handful of times, but in verse 8 it says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. The familiar Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is us receiving of the goodness of the Lord. Paul told the Romans that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. In Psalm 147, 7, they shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. The goodness of God is seen in the providence that he has for all of his creatures and even all of his creation. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He made all things good and he provided for their sustenance. There are numerous psalms that refer and and list a number of the things in nature that he upholds. He He feeds the animals, he takes care of them. In his great goodness, 
He cares even for his creatures. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And we have been recipients of his goodness. His grace has been poured out upon us. We have life and breath from the hand of the Lord and his goodness to us. I'd like for you to turn to Exodus chapter 33. We're going to look specifically at what God had to say about his goodness. Exodus 33. This was a time that Moses was before the Lord... In Exodus 33, we'll begin in verse 18, and this was Moses speaking. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So when Moses asked to see the glory of the Lord, the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. So the goodness of the Lord is his glory. And as we speak of his glory, it includes his goodness. It is the magnifying of his character and his name, his goodness. And you know the account there, perhaps how Moses, um, when the Lord passed by, let's look over in chapter 34. Verse 6, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. So God specifically mentioned the attribute of goodness when he showed Moses his glory. God cannot be anything but good. There is no evil in him. There is no darkness in him. Everything that he does is good. But what about bad things that happen to people? Well, let's look at some of the uh, things the scripture has to say. And we're going to look again at the story of Job. If you would turn there, 
I know we've referred to this the other day, but we're going to look at it again. Job chapter 1 and 2. Job was a perfect man, an upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Verse 1 of chapter 1. But there were some bad things that happened to Job. Some very uh, difficult and disappointing things. And Job began to suffer. He suffered loss of his... uh, of his goods, and then of his uh, family, and then of his health. But as we noted earlier in verse 21 there of chapter 1, he says, and, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So he blessed the name or the reputation of the Lord, saying, It was the Lord who gave, it was the Lord who took him away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it says, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. What does it mean to charge God? The thought there is to make an accusation or to lay some... um, Uh, Yes, an accusation before God. If somebody is charged in court, there is a certain deed or something laid to their account. They They are called to account for it. Job did not accuse God as a fool would in blaming God for the things that he was suffering. In other words, he accepted it, as it were, from the hand of the Lord, but he did not not make an accusation against God's character for what he was suffering. A very important thing to remember. We should not charge God foolishly with our difficulties and think that God is not good, but do bad things happen? Yes. Do evil things happen? Yes, they do. And it is one of the wrestlings of men's hearts and minds. It's how to account for evil. And perhaps even the things they suffer. How do you reckon with that? Well, there is some aspect of that. Why does evil exist? Men of wrestled with that thought. And I sometimes think we are a bit too hasty to try to come up with some answers. Why does evil exist? There are reasons. We can think of some of them, but I'm not sure that we can fully answer why evil exists. But we do know there's, it's rooted in the rebellion of Satan his fall from heaven, 
And that because of that he came and because of Adam's sin, uh, death came upon all men. And through that, uh, sin entered into the world. Those are some of the things we know. Uh, but why, does, why doesn't God just deal with it? Well, there is coming a day when he will. And this earth will be purged of its evil. Let's look over here back in the story of Job chapter 2. Verse 10. This was now after his wife encouraged him to just curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Well, I'd like to uh, just consider this thing of evil for a bit. Did God create evil? And we have here Job's words, Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Well, there, there are some who believe that God created evil, and that somehow that glorifies his name. And I don't doubt that God is able to take bad things and receive glory to his name. But the concept that God um, made evil to exist uh, for the sole purpose of bringing glory to his name, I, I don't find that taught in the scripture. We should not be charging God foolishly or even unthinkingly charging God with wickedness in the sense that he created evil. Evil is a rebellion against God's order. Satan left his first estate along with the angels. He had, he was created perfect in all his ways, but he rebelled. And in that rebellion is the very genesis, if you will, of evil acting contrary to God's design and purpose is evil. Uh, sin is a transgression of the law. God's laws are good. All of them are good because God himself is good and when he, when he uh, formed a law, those laws of God are intrinsically good. Intrinsically good. They are for the good welfare of those who are subject to those laws. So when God makes a law, for example, the law of um, thou shalt not kill, or thou shalt not steal, did he forbid us to steal just so we're deprived of some goods that we could acquire to ourselves if we were allowed to steal? 
Did he just arbitrarily put that there, or is it to our own best interest not to steal? Well, it's certainly in our own best interest, not just because of the law of consequences and punishment for wrongdoing, but all of society would be far better off if there was no theft. Not just ourselves, but everybody. And so it is with God's laws. They're not meant to deprive us of some good or some benefit. Men only see that when they want to follow their own ways and, and reject God's ways. The laws of God are intrinsically good. I believe Job saw that. He did not charge God with iniquity or somehow blame him for evil. Well, but why is there evil? And did God create evil? There is a verse that has troubled many and I think been misinterpreted by many, but it actually says the words that uh, God creates evil, or I make peace and create evil. It's found in Isaiah 45, 7. I'd like for you to turn there. And I'm going to try and explain how I understand this this passage in Isaiah 45 verse 7 And the context here is God speaking and declaring himself to be the only God the one who created um, all things. And he says in verse 7, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, if we're not going to charge God with making evil, then what do we make of this verse? Well, there are several ways that the term evil is used. Most times, in our common usage of evil, we, it's, uh, it's morally uh, perverse. And that, that's primarily the sense in which we use it. Evil is almost a step beyond bad. We think of something bad, but my, if somebody did something that was just pure evil. You know, we use those kind of terms. But in the scripture many times, the term evil, while it did often carry the idea of moral badness and, and wickedness, it also had a much lesser concept, and that was simply uh, using the term evil for things that were, uh, we might call a misfortune or, or a... Uh, disappointing or distressing circumstance, um, hardships. And for an example, we could look at the, uh, the life of uh, Jacob. 
um, who was then called uh, Israel, and you find that in Genesis where he was down there in the land of Egypt, and he was in his latter years, after Joseph had been revealed to them and they moved down to Egypt, uh, Jacob or Israel came in there before Pharaoh. And in his little speech to Pharaoh, he said, Few and evil have been the years of my life. Now, was Jacob morally wicked at that point that he used the term evil? And I say no, because we know from the very words of Jesus that Jacob is in paradise. Why do we know that? It's because... Jesus said that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of the living and not the God of the dead. So we know that Jacob lives in paradise. But he said, few and evil have been the years of my life. And that term evil there simply means that he has had many bitter experiences in life. He has had many trials and testings. One of them, of course, being Joseph being taken for so many years out of his life. He didn't know what happened to him. So those were some of the things that Jacob called evil. Few and evil have been the years of my life. So there, in that sense, it simply refers to disappointments and disappointing things. Job could have said something very similar. He experienced evil. And I think that's how we would probably understand, shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord and shall we not receive evil? In other words, God has been very good to us. He has given us much. He has poured out his goodness upon us. Shall we not expect that there will also be some troubles, difficulties, and using even the term evil? So back to our passage here in Isaiah 45, uh, 7, where you use the term and create evil. That's how I understand it in the sense that God even, um, shall we say, allows or creates situations that are even distressing. Let me give you another example, and this is, uh, this is one that we all deal with, and that is pain. Is pain an evil, or is it not? Well, I'm not sure uh, how, maybe, maybe that's the wrong question. We do know that, e that pain is not pleasant. And there is a time, we're told, that there will be no more pain. That's in the next life. Uh, God has banished pain. There will be no more pain. So there is something very uh, wrong or bad, we might say, or even evil about pain. However, God in his infinite wisdom has actually... Uh, given us many, many blessings in pain. And let me explain it this way. 
The disease of leprosy, which has for ages been a very uh, troubling disease, you read about it in the scripture and it still exists today in some countries, particularly in India, and I think there was a man by the name of Dr., uh, he was a doctor, Paul Brand, you may have read some of his books or some of his research, who studied extensively on the disease of leprosy, and he found that after this virus runs its course, uh, one of the primary things that it does is it deadens the nerves and the pain receptors on the end of your fingers and toes and, and elsewhere in your body. And through much research, when he investigated why those who suffer from leprosy lose the, their fingers and their toes and some extremities, he discovered that much of it was because of attrition through simply not feeling when the tissue was damaged. And it's simply by repeated exposure to fire and extreme pressures, men would injure their fingers and toes and never even realize it because they couldn't feel it. If you don't feel pain and avoid the things that damage your tissue, you'll suffer long-term damage. Another very simple thing that pain is doing for you right now is it's making you uncomfortable from time to time and you kind of shift around in your seat uh, trying to find a more comfortable spot. And is that beneficial? Yes, it is very beneficial because it has been found that those who, um, those who are paralyzed and have no feeling in their seat, they can sit but with no feeling, there's never any shifting. There's, the, there's no pain there to indicate that it's, say, it's time to move a little bit and get a different position. And they develop sores that are very distressing and, and dangerous simply because there's no feeling there. There's no pain to tell them it's time to move. And you're doing it all the time and not even thinking about it and have derived a great deal of benefit from pain. Amazing, isn't it? So even in pain, which we call evil and will eventually be banished away from us, right now God in his infinite wisdom has, has made some of that work in a beneficial way. There's a parallel in that, in that some of the things that we suffer in life, though we should never charge God with, uh, with some evil, but recognize that the things that he allows us to go through can actually work for our benefit and not to our destruction. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let's turn now to Romans chapter 11.
And here we have the account of how God cut off the branches of Israel, of the Jews, because they did not believe and the Gentiles were grafted in. And he says this in Romans chapter 11, verse 32. Well, maybe we should start in verse 20 to get the context. He says, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. On them which fell, severity. But toward thee, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. And if thou wast cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and was grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? And there he asks the question, or, or gives instruction, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. So now he's contrasting goodness on the one hand with severity on the other. And it's true that in God's goodness he also must deal with evil. If God did not punish evil, how then would he be good? His goodness requires him to eschew evil, yea, verily to punish evil, because he is good. And it's right for him to give um, punishments and, and retribution for evil that men do. It began with the... Uh, with the devil and the angels that transgressed and left their first estate. And it's also promised to all mankind who reject the goodness of God because the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And if thou despisest the goodness of God and refuse to follow his ways, there will be retribution and punishment. And God in his goodness will do that. It's not a contradiction of his goodness to mete out punishment. But here, where he contrasts goodness and severity, it's, we see that even in this severity of cutting off the original branches, he says that if they abide not in unbelief, they'll be grafted back in. So it's not like they, um, that he arbitrarily chose them to punishment. It was because of unbelief that they were cut off. And if they, in their cut off state, repent, and the goodness of God leads them back to repentance, he says very clearly that they're going to be grafted back in. 
So on thee, goodness, and on them, severity. But he also says that we should not be high-minded. He says, if, um, but toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. The goodness and severity of God. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. To doubt the goodness of God is to reproach or defame his character. Because God cannot be anything other than good. I know reference is also uh, made in some previous sessions about Joseph, the example that Joseph gave or lived. Joseph was one also who did not charge God foolishly. He didn't fret and fuss with the, uh, with the calamities, yes, calamities, we would call them, that came his way. And he, he suffered all those things, but at the end, when his brothers feared retribution, when it was in his power to do so, he said, you know, you meant it for evil. And they were evil, weren't they? Didn't his brothers do wickedly against him? And the answer is yes, they did. But he said, God meant it for good. God took that evil and worked it in Joseph's life so that it worked for good. Now, I don't think we can conclude that, um, that there's any sense of excuse or, or justification for evil or wickedness. God was not going to just overlook the wickedness of these brothers. Uh, they needed to humble themselves and repent. And we know, of course, that there was that in the end. We have the um, the vision that Joseph had where the uh, stars made obeisance to, the, to him. And it represented what his brothers did later in life. First, it was very unwittingly. They didn't realize what was happening. Uh, but I think in truth they, they bowed their hearts in recognition of their sin and they apologized and, and sought forgiveness for their transgressions. So what about us? Is God good to us? Is God good to you? How do you look at the circumstances in your life? Do you see the goodness of God? And I'll just say that that's where the real test comes for us. We can sit here and 
we can think and say amen. Yes, we know. We know the verses. We've, we've looked at them. We've read these things. And we see the examples of God's goodness. And we could, I mean, time would fail us to tell of all the good things that God has done and, and his goodness. But what about the difficult things I suffer? What about the pain, the, uh, the disappointments, the things that don't go well and, and the obstacles that come my way? Is God still good? Yes, God is good. And God is good all the time. Does evil exist? Yes, evil exists. But God is not to be charged with evil. God is not to be charged with um, with oversight, meaning that he overlooked something and, and somehow failed to care. Because God does care. And it's up to us to do like Job did. To say, God has been good to me. Shall I not expect to have some difficulties? Shall I not expect to suffer some affliction and some distresses? And his conclusion was, yes, I should expect that. And to accept it. Um, and to not... Charge God foolishly. Well, that's all I have today. I know I'm ending here a bit early, but I want us to just take home with us the concept that God is good. And God is good all the time. His goodness is a reflection of his glory. And let's count and recount the goodness of the Lord. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. May the Lord bless you.